Well, a wonderful time of worship this morning already as we continue to move towards the Lord's table. Colossians chapter 1, I just want to read a paragraph there which I think summarizes what the gospel can do among a body and among a people and what your pastor longs for in the heart of this place. And as we do a quick review of our mission statement and our, of our values and we just want to touch on those things so that we can send you out recognizing what we've been spending and uh, our time on, not only in this room here, but with your staff since April 3rd, a sermon series for many, many months now, revealing to you, uncovering for you, and recasting for you the vision of Jesus. We certainly want to put a cap on that and, and just finish that up, but ultimately here is what will change a body that will move a people, that will bring unity, that will bring joy, what will bring mission and ministry, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1, Paul said this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul later says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, for I have given to you, church, I have given to you what I have also received, and that is the gospel, the gospel by which you are standing, but which you are continuing to stand, by which you are continuing to be saved. It is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms people and transforms churches. And so as we finish our vision, as we finish our values, we never want to underestimate or we never want to put practices above the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see something in Colossians chapter 1 this morning. And as I read this paragraph from Paul writing to this church, I want you to see the elements here that are rooted in the gospel and then we'll continue on this morning. But read with me Colossians chapter 1 beginning in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, faith, love, and hope. Have you heard those things before? Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth or the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So here is what Paul is telling this church this family of faith that is gathered together to hear this word from the Holy Spirit, and that is, church, what I see in you is faith in Jesus. What I see in you is a love for one another, and what I see in you is a hope that is not dependent upon their circumstances, but a hope that is dependent upon heaven. And he says these elements are rooted in the life-transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so when Paul comes to this church and he says, here is this gospel that has come to you, it is bearing fruit. If you turn over just a couple of verses in verse 10 there, it says, it is bearing fruit in you and it is also bearing fruit through you. And this gospel that energizes a people, transforms a people and a church so that it bears fruit inside of its walls, but then it bears fruit outside of its walls as well. Now, here's what's so interesting about this. They believe that when Paul writes this to this church, it's about 30 years after Jesus has given his command to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's about 30 years after, a generation and a half perhaps, after Jesus on a mountain gathered his disciples together and he gave them a mission. He comes to them with, his, with the, the nail prints still in his hands, with the, with the scars on his body, and he comes to them and he gives them a mission and he says, I want you to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 28. Verses 16 through 20. Here is the Great Commission, as it's called. Here is the mission that Jesus has given his church. It says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's what we can put together so far. In Colossians, 30 years later, the gospel has come to a people, and this gospel is transforming a people inwardly, and it is moving out. And the gospel and the plan for reaching that church there in Colossae is the same gospel and plan that Jesus, 30 years earlier, gave to his disciples, and that is the plan that is to come through Colossae and through Antioch and through Thessalonica and through Corinth and through Rome and through all of the churches there that we read about in that generation. And that gospel continues to come through the years to a place called Taylor's First Baptist Church. And it is that same mission that God has given us that is rooted there in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. And we at Taylor's here have recast vision for what Jesus longs for in his church. And it is this. Here's our mission statement. To make disciples as we encounter God, equip believers, and engage the world. This is what we are going to put before you continually in the days ahead. And as we've done every week since April 3rd, we present to you a mission statement which says this. We exist as a church to make disciples. Disciples, those who look like Jesus and lead others to look like Jesus, as we encounter God, that's the first step, as we are transformed by his presence, as those disciples were there in Galilee, as we together gather around to sing and to give and to pray and to come to the word and come to the Lord's table, we are transformed by the presence of God as we encounter him. As we equip believers, as Jesus looks at those men, he's done the equipping. That word equip means to repair or to prepare or to mature. 
And Jesus has come to the three and has come to the 12, and he says this, I am going to teach you, and then you in turn are going to teach others all that I have commanded you, and they're going to obey, and they are going to be prepared, and they are going to be equipped to do what? To engage the world. To engage people who are apart from Christ. And so in this mission statement, we find in this great commission, we find them linked together, our mission. We are to make disciples. We are to see life change in people by the gospel as we encounter God, as we equip one another, and as we engage the world. But then we've given you over the last few weeks practices to how that's going to be done. We've given you expectations or values which will undergird that mission, if you will, that will strengthen that mission. We just don't say it. We say, here are the expectations and values which undergird it. And this is what we are asking you to participate in, to practice with us so that the gospel can be in us and growing and bearing fruit as it did in Colossae. Reminds me this past week of the news that came down of Dr. Henry Heimlich, 96 years old. Did you hear this story? Dr. Heimlich is the inventor of the maneuver, the Heimlich maneuver, that maybe some of you have done, that you've, maybe you have had done on you. But it came out in the news this past week that Dr. Heimlich is 96 years old, and he's in a, um, he's in a living assisted facility. And it was there that um, he was eating, and the woman next to him began to choke. So Dr. Heimlich knows what to do, doesn't he? <laughs> we would hope so. <laughs> I mean, he invented the Heimlich maneuver in the early 70s, over 40 years ago. So he does what he should do, right? He, he puts uh, his fist there and the other hand there. You know all that. Don't tell me to do that again because I can't do that again, right? <laughs> it's on the tape, sorry. <laughs> Out comes the food and he saves this woman's life. But here's the crazy thing, you ready? It came out that this was the very first time he's ever performed that maneuver. <laughs> now, there's a little dispute about that. I mean, some of his family members are saying, hey, back in the two. But even if it was only two times, are you kidding me? I love what one guy said on social media this past week when he read that. He said, he said Dr. Heimlich admitted that he'd never actually used his own maneuver. <laughs> I'm driving more carefully after hearing similar news from Dr. Airbag. You like that? <laughs> you would too. Have you tried this thing out? Right? Whether he did it once or twice in 40 years, have you tried it out? Now, here's, here's the point, though. So many of us know the procedure. We know the system. We know what to do. We've been around it a long, long time. But have we fully engaged in practicing the gospel? We don't want to be accused, folks. And as your pastor, I don't want you to be accused one day of standing before God Never having fully engaged in gospel ministry and bearing fruit in your life and then seeing it bear fruit in the lives of other people. 
I love you. And I want you to bear fruit. And Jesus does too. And so we've given you a set of values. I'm not the Pope. I'm not infallible. Our staff, we're not perfect. But we have put together over prayer in many, many months values that we want you to put into practice and not just be a participant or a, a, a spectator, if you will, someone who knows about church and knows about the gospel and knows about religion and knows about all these things and never fully engages. Let me just list them out for you, and then I want to set up our time in the Lord's Supper. Number one value is expectant worship. We value a lifestyle of personal and corporate worship where we encounter the living God. You know what kind of worship that we see nowadays a lot is not expectant worship, but expedient worship. Expedient means it's worship that is um, that fits my taste and fits my style and fits my calendar. It's something that is um, comfortable. It's something that um, I consume. And the big difference between expectant worship, expectant worship is where we come into a place and where we confess and we open up our hearts in submission to God and where we respond to God. That's where we come in expecting God to move in his spirit to speak. Expedient worship is what is comfortable or useful or what fits my preference or what fits my style. There is no expedient worship around the throne one day, so we expect to worship here in light of the hope of heaven, Colossians chapter 1, expecting to encounter God. Secondly, multiplying disciple makers. We value developing people who in turn develop other people. We value you in your life groups, you in your Bible studies, you in your life investing and pouring into people. Some of you are incredibly gifted some of you have incredible abilities and skills relationally or what the Holy Spirit has given you. But are you producing and investing people who are multiplying, who are growing and bearing fruit in their lives, and they in turn are bearing and growing fruit in their lives? Can you look back and see a pipeline, if you will, of people that you have given your life to and invested in, who in turn have given their lives and invested in other people. That's what it means to multiply disciple makers. Third, reaching the unreached. These are people who are apart from Christ. So we value, we practice reaching the unreached. It means that I will get on a plane with Jeremy Thompson, our missions minister, in just a few weeks, and we will go overseas, and we will gather quietly with leaders from another region of the world, another uh, place in the world there where it's very, very hard to reach, and we will gather with pastors, and we will gather with leaders, and we will gather with those workers, and we will pray, and we are praying, and we're praying fervently, God, will you save individuals from people groups who have never heard the gospel, will you save them? Will you bring them to Christ? Will you begin a movement in places where the gospel has never, ever been spoken? We will strategize and think, and we will do all of those things, and we will come back to you and we'll say, church, will you pray with us about moving forward? 
That's what it means to reach the unreached. But you know what it also means? It also means that on a Saturday evening a couple of weeks ago, I turned to my wife and I said, let's, let's get the grill out tonight. Let's make it easy. And let's invite our neighbor. It's a Saturday night. We're tired. We've got to preach tomorrow. We've got to teach tomorrow. We've got a huge day tomorrow. But we can cook a meal. We can grill a burger for our neighbor who just lost his wife. He's alone. He comes over. And he just talks to us in a way he's never talked before. Reaching the unreached means that we go on planes and we fervently plead where the name of Jesus has never be spo- been spoken to for people to come to faith in Christ. But it also means that I look to my left and to my right and I say, do they know Christ? What will I do? What will I do? The value of reaching the unreached. The value of everybody serves. I love the video that we showed. I see John Alexander right over here to my right. I love the video that we showed when, uh, on this value about the lady who um, volunteered for Summer Spectacular. You know, we need your help. We need your help. We need, you ready? Here, here's the pitch. We need seven, count it, five. We need seven adults to step up for Summer Spectacular. This, this year we're close. We need you. And I love this, the video that we showed of this volunteer who said, hey, I, I'm going to volunteer for Summer Spectacular just as many, many, many of you have. And she said, you know, it was the entry point of of a gift that was kind of stirring there, but a need that was there and an opportunity to express uh, a a need and to to use that gift for reaching kids. And now she, she and her husband are helping lead worship for little ones. And it's an amazing story of what you can do when we raise the value of everybody serving and say, what has God given you? He's given you something to use. Everybody serves. Innovative faith. We value creating ever-changing, culturally relevant environments and methods that deliver the message that never, ever changes the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we will do that. We will continue to create environments. We will continue to create ways and methods for you to engage with the message, for your friends, for your neighbors, for your groups, whatever it might be, we pray and ask God to give us faith dependent upon the Holy Spirit that takes risks. Generous giving. We value managing our time and our talents, our treasures, our truth, and relationships in God-honoring ways. We ask you to give, not just your money, We desperately need you to be faithful throughout the summer months. As we come to summer, we're staring at it. Absolutely, we need you to be faithful in that. But more than that, we need a heart that says, whatever God you ask me to do, whether it's my wallet, whether it's my gifts and serving at Summer Spectacular, no matter if it's changing and and rethinking how I do ministry here at Taylor's in the summer and in the fall and in the weeks ahead, It's a heart that says, I will go a second mile in a one-mile world in a one-mile environment. Do we have that kind of heart? And then life transformation. This is what we want to see produced. Not just more worshipers. We love that. Not just more groups. We love that. Not just more people serving. We, We want that. 
We want all of those things. We think those are indicators, but ultimately at the end of the day, if we're not seeing life change, we need to reevaluate. If we're not seeing people come to faith in Christ, if we're not seeing people changed by the gospel, if we're not seeing in Colossians chapter 1 faith and love and hope in heaven, if we're not seeing God use the gospel among us to produce people who are investing in the lives of other people, then we're not hitting the target. And so that is why we come back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's where I want this to be very individual as it works itself out in the body. Here's what will change, Taylor's. I said it at the top. It is the gospel working in you so that it can produce those practices and values so that we can fulfill the mission. It is the gospel working in each of you to melt your heart, for you to repent of your sin, for you to commit in a new, fresh way to what God has put in front of you, for you to forgive, for you to love. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that will change you, and it's the gospel that we remember here because God has changed us through Christ, and he continues to change us. The choir is going to lead us in just a second and sing a wonderful, wonderful song about life transformation. And it's really about changing a name. But what they mean and what the songwriter means and what God means when he talks about renaming us means that he changes our life. And they're going to sing a song that there's a wonderful story that's attached to this song. There's a um, prolific songwriter. It's from South Carolina, but ministered in Texas, and really his ministry goes throughout all the country. And he's written many, many wonderful songs, but perhaps one of the greatest contributions that he can give to the church, at least of recent, is the story of how he changed the name of a little boy. And as I share this story, I, I want you to remember that that you and I are orphans. You and I are those who are apart from Christ. You and I are, are those who are fatherless until the gospel comes to us. And he tells a story. His name's Bradley Knight. He tells the story of how one day over in Uganda, there's a woman who was working in the coffee fields on the edge of the jungle, and there underneath one of the coffee bushes is a six-month-old little baby just crying. Naked, obviously hungry. So this woman takes this little boy and brings him home, and she already has several children. She's married to a man who has more than one other wife, and so he has multiple children. So they have dozens and dozens of children, and this man does not want this little boy. So they give him a name because he doesn't like him. They give him a name, first name of James. But the last name in Uganda, he gives him the name that means trash. So he's called trash because they call him by their last name. And that's everywhere he goes because he's not wanted. He's called trash. Well, Bradley Knight, the songwriter, he and his wife felt led 
to adopt children. So they go over to Uganda, and they begin the process of adopting children. And they come to this little boy, and they adopt him and another girl. And he says it was such a great moment when they stand before the judge, and the judge awards them these children, and they become American citizens. Can you imagine that? He's free, and he gets to come home, and he gets to have a, have a life that is radically different than before. But he says he not only gives them a new home, they gave them a new name. And they take away the name Trash, and in its place, they give them a Ugandan name, which means God has chosen you. So this little boy goes from being called Trash to God has chosen you. And this is what happens in the gospel. Someone said that Satan knows our names, but he calls us by our sins. But God, through Jesus and the gospel, knows our sin, but he calls us by a new name. And this morning, I come to you through Colossians chapter 1 and through the Great Commission with this gospel. And we come to the Lord's table in just a little bit. And we will declare around the table that God has changed us. He's changed our name. But he's changed our life. Is that true for you? Have you responded to the incredibly good news that Jesus has given his life so that he could bring you into the family of God so that you could turn from your sins so that you could know Christ and be free? Once you were naked, helpless, alienated, left alone, but through the body and blood of Christ you've been changed. Is that your story this morning? I pray it is. The choir is going to lead us in this wonderful song. As soon as they're done, we're going to come and take the Lord's Supper, and then we'll be done this morning. Will you pray with me right now and ask the Lord through this song, through the Lord's Supper, to begin working, opening up your heart about what it means not only to enter into the gospel, but for the gospel to continue to change you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the body and blood of Christ. And as we elevate Christ, we pray that men and women will be drawn to him and that through this song and through our time together, that you would begin to work in a powerful way. Bring confession. Bring submission. Bring down the walls and replace it with grace and mercy and forgiveness. And we pray this prayer in Christ's name.